Okay. Uh, let's stand together in a word of prayer. My son here. Okay. Heavenly Father, we're grateful today for your word, and Lord, that uh, we can learn something from it. Lord, I think of um, great men through the ages that have been able to preach your word and study it and really understand it. And Lord, I think of these men, Lord, they were nothing but uh, just like us, Lord, just people saved by your grace. I ask you this morning, Lord, that you just uh, help me to be, to be able to convey the message that you show forth in your word. Lord, that I wouldn't just convey something just because it's something that I've been taught, but it's been something that you taught me. And Lord, I pray that you just help me to have grace in my understanding, and I pray that you'd help, help uh, you'd have mercy on me as an as a individual that's a sinner saved by your grace. Lord, just bless today as only you can. I pray that your hand of mercy be upon this church. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Good morning, everyone. I'm glad everybody could make it on this nice, snowy day. Uh, thankful that we have this beautiful church building to be, keep us warm inside. Amen. You could live in the Arctic. Amen. Imagine that. Having church in the snow. That's been done. It's been done. All right. So just a real quick review of what we've gone over in the last uh, few days of First Peter. First of all, we talked about when First Peter was written. Anybody want to get, take a wild guess when First Peter was written? There's actually a variance of dates here, not just one date, yes? Did you say 63 through 56 AD? 63 or through 65 AD. You might have just had a little dexalexia that's going on there. So just kind of change that. There you go. Good job. Thank you, Stephanie. At least someone's taking notes, amen? All right. 63 through 65 AD. The theme, the theme for 1 Peter is what? What is the theme for First Peter? Yes. No, no, not not hope. Okay, you're on the right track, but what really the the hope? Where do you get the hope from? And that comes from victory over suffering. Hope is a solution to having victory over suffering. Okay. So the theme of the book of 1 Peter is victory over suffering. Um, it's important to understand that how victory, you know, sometimes people take suffering and they, they don't, uh, they allow their flesh to dictate themselves, meaning uh, their flesh tells them what to do, okay? Um, a real lazy person will allow themselves to become what? Dictated by the flesh. And how is that? They don't get up in the morning. The first thing that they do when the alarm clock goes off, boom, they hit the snooze button. My dad never let us hit the snooze button when we were growing up. This is just a side note. This has nothing to do with today's lesson. He would never let us hit the snooze button. If he didn't hear heat, uh, feet hit the floor, as soon as the alarm went off, he was coming in with a bucket of water. And I remember it because it was the worst feeling ever. Me laying there all nice and cozy in your bed. And it was like you were swimming. And it was like, ah, what just happened? I mean, we, did you need something, Chloe? Okay. When you, when you heard that alarm clock go off, you got up automatically. Now, Dad did have mercy a couple times. I, I, as a kid, would sleep really hard. And I think I'm starting to be more like that than ever now. 
But I remember one time he got me an alarm clock. And I'm telling you, that alarm clock was not loud enough. He literally put that alarm clock right up to my ear. And I didn't wake up. I was just out of it. And uh, he'd wake me up, his son, wake up. We're going to get you a different alarm clock. And so that day he got me something that could actually turn up the volume. And uh, before long we were able to get up. But I'm telling you, you're doing your child a disservice. If you don't get an alarm clock, I can't wait. My daughters, I'm going to get a remote alarm clock. <laughs> How is that going to work? What I'm going to do is I'm going to put something in their bedroom. That's not going to be something that's going to be set by time. It's going to be set whenever mom wants to get them up. Because I know my wife, she's a busy lady. She's got lots to do before the kids get up. So my thought was get them a remote so she can hit that player whenever the, she wants the kids to get up. It could be later. It could be earlier, whatever. But I think you're doing your kids a disservice. Why? Because you're letting them live by the dictates of their own flesh whenever they want to get up. Especially kids that are homeschooled. Mrs. Teasdale used to, and this is really a side note, a little sermonette here. Mrs. Teasdale used to make me get up dressed completely in full, when I was homeschooled, completely tie, shirt, pants, dress shoes. Why? She wanted me to feel serious about my schoolwork. It wasn't something that you're just going to play at. That's the advantage of being homeschooled. You don't have to worry about that. But he, she wanted me to be serious about it. And you have to give them that mindset. Don't let your flesh dictate or tell you what to do. So we talked about the victory over suffering. I don't know how I got to that point. But, um, oh, I was talking about the dictates of the flesh. Um, did you understand that, Lewis? Dictates? you understand what dictates means? Dictation? Okay. Um, when we, as Christians, we have to have victory over our flesh. And sometimes our flesh makes us suffer. How do we vic become victorious over that? Suffering was mentioned 16 times in the book of 1 Peter. 16. Grace is mentioned 8 times in the book of Peter. Okay. So really to have dic uh, dictation over your flesh, not being dictated by your flesh, how are you going to do that? It's by having grace from God to be able to overcome Okay, so the purposes for the book of 1 Peter, there's two reasons. First of all, to give encouragement during suffering. The second reason is to exhort to Christian living. All right, believe it or not, those two go hand in hand. To give encouragement during suffering and to exhort to Christian living. Really, to be quite honest with you, what are you really telling people when you're trying to exhort them for Christian living? Or, I'm sorry, to give encouragement during suffering. You're telling them, hey, I'm going to help you with your flesh. Okay? I'm going to help you overcome the embattlement of your flesh. So, we know that the two purposes is that. Then, thirdly, we know that the book of 1 Peter was written from where? Anybody remember? It starts with a B, ends with an N. we know the book of first peter it was actually written by in babylon in babylon all right very interesting place it's the babylon that is on 
the Euphrates River. So, and then I gave six, uh, seven points of what suffering is. I'm not going to go through those for sake of time. But we're going to talk about the content, the content of 1 Peter. Last week we talked about God's grace and salvation. And there was three things that we talked about. Anybody remember those three things? Okay, Miss Patty, you're shaking your head. Go ahead. Do you remember one of them? Hope. Oh, good job. You got it. You mentioned it earlier. Good job. Do you know the next one? Yes. Harmony, correct. Harmony. And the third thing. Anybody know? Hope, harmony. Huh? Not happiness. Yes, sir. Hope, harmony, and holiness. Holiness. And uh, those are the three reasons for God's grace in salvation. Secondly, and this is what the new content that we're going to go over today. And we're going to talk about God's grace in submission. Submission. All right, let's do a little bit of a word study. What does submission mean to you folks? When I say you need to be in submission, what does that mean? For Lewis, get that stern look on your face. You're in the military. What does submission mean to you? You had to do this. Or else you would have been kicked in the Obey. Okay, that's a good, very good one word uh, definition. How do you say obey in Spanish? I'll have to get that from you later. <laughs> All right. Obey. Anybody else have a definition for submission? Submission. Under authority? Okay, I can, I can see that. Anybody else? Sarah, you're a young person in here. What does submission mean to you? If I told you you need to submit to your mom and your dad, what does that mean? Just loyal? If you're loyal to someone, um, let me just put this in. in, in uh, you're loyal to America, aren't you? Okay. You love America. You're loyal to it. Well, let me ask you this question. If the America told you to be uh, disobey God, would you still be loyal to it? Well, it does. It does tell you sometimes to disobey God. You can be loyal to something but not be in complete, complete uh, uh, agreement, right? Submission is this idea where you're in complete agreement and obedience to whatever they say. Perfect example of this is when I was in. Uh, me and my brother had a bus route in Michigan. We ran this bus route together. My brother, if you know anything about me and my brother, there's always been this rivalry. There's always been this, you know, the Bible says he's born for what? Adversity, right? Brother Glenn knows that. He's got three brothers he's got to deal with, okay? There's always been that, uh, that give and pull in a, in a brotherly relationship. Uh, brother Lewis back there probably had this. No, maybe he didn't. He, put, he had his brothers in submission from day one. You know, but I was younger than my brother, and there was lots of times that I would try to. 
a buck him as a brother. But one of the things that I learned being on a bus route, he was the bus captain. I had to what? Submit to his authority. And in doing so, he would ask me to do things, and that's not something I wanted to do. But as a person that's submitting Sarah, I just did them because I was told to do them. Okay? As your parents tell you to do things, you are to what? Be in complete what? Say it with me. Submission. Okay? So we're going to talk about God's grace and submit, sub, submission. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 13. And we find in verse 13, it says, Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme, or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evil doers and for the praise of them that do well. Okay? Let's ask you, let's go through a little uh, common civics lesson. Is, biblical civics lesson, is the government to be obeyed? Some of you just kind of look at me like, well, I don't know. Yes. Okay. Yes, the government's to be obeyed. We find that in Romans chapter what? What verse tells us to obey, the, not just here, but in Romans chapter? Romans chapter 14, okay? I could be wrong, but I'm going to be Romans 12. But Romans, it's in Romans 12 or 14. We'll go there in a second. But the idea there is we are to have submission to authorities. As it says here in verse 14, in verse 13 and 14, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man. What is an ordinance? It's a law, okay? All right. Verse 15. For so is the will of God that with well-doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. Jesus, it says that Jesus, what? Gained favor with God and with man. Okay? You as a Christian, if you're, and I talked about this, uh, I think this was last week. You as a Christian, your obedience, your submission to authorities in uh, your, as a citizen, guess what? People are going to say, wow, that person must be serving God because look how they obey the government. If you ever get pulled over, what should your reaction be? Should you argue with the police officer? I don't. You know the first thing I do when I get pulled over? I take my keys out of the ignition. I pull them out. I put my hands on the steering wheel. I roll down my window. Because why? The police officer wants to know that I'm not going to grab for a gun or something. And I put it there, and I put my hands over top of the steering wheel, so they're not grabbing the steering wheel themselves. And I look at the officer, and I say, yes, sir, how can I help you? Why? Because my idea is that I, as a Christian, should be an example. Should I go, what are you pulling me over now, sir? Should I have that type of attitude? No, because what? I'm portraying Christ. I should be submissive. Christ is telling us right here to, uh, to every ordinance of man. Now, there's some things that the government wants you to do that you shouldn't do. They, they don't like God. They don't like the scripture, especially recently. They are very, very, sometimes you, they don't want you to go out and tell others about Jesus. Should you obey that? No. What trumps the laws of man? The laws of God. But you know what? Who made a lot of the laws of man? Who made them? God did. 
And you ever go on a soul winning and you ask a person, uh, they start talking, well, God's not real, God's not. Okay, well, let's go there for a second. Let's talk about that. Stephanie, let me ask you a question. Who taught you to do the right thing? Who taught you that you shouldn't murder? Who taught you that it was wrong to steal? Who taught you that it was wrong to lie? Who taught you these things? Some people will say, well, <laughs> my parents did. Really? Well, how did your parents do? Well, their parents. And how did their parents do? Their parents. Well, you could going back and back and back. Where did they learn? I don't know. It was come from a conscience from God. You look at the laws of America, thank goodness our country, our country was founded on Christian biblicals and Christian precepts. If you, if you study American history, you'll find that a lot of our laws was taken from a man by the name of uh, John. Now it's escaping me. Come on, Stephanie, help me out here. John, it starts with an L. I'll get to it eventually. Uh, uh, I'll get to it. I had to read all of his works when I was in high school. But he took a lot of his works from what? The Bible. You go through Deuteronomy. You go through uh, Leviticus. You find the reasons for capital punishment. If man's blood be shed, what? If, that, if, a man blood, uh, if a man shed another man's blood, his blood should be shed. The idea there is what? you're going to kill someone, guess what happens? You'll be killed as well. If an animal kills someone, guess what? That animal needs to be put down. You'll find all kinds of laws in the, in, in the uh, American law books that are comparable to what? To our Bible. We need to be in submission to what? Authorities. It says in verse 16, As free and not using your liberty for a cloak of what? Maliciousness, but as servants of God. Verse 17, honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. What is that first phrase there? Let's kind of like, let's like parse that out for a second. What's that first part say? Honor all men. Steph, or Sarah, what does honor mean? Bible tells you to honor your parents. How do you do that? Honor all men. How are you going to how are you going to follow that commandment? I know I'm putting you on the spot, but I want you to think through it. Lewis Jr., what does honor mean to you? I'm sorry? Just not authority. Just be respectful to people in general. Okay, the Bible says to honor all men. We should be respectful. Our attitude should not be snotty. Our attitude should not be what? Someone that's, uh, uh, I'm better than you, right? We shouldn't be proud. Our whole philosophy, what? We are sweet. We are submissive. We are kind. Be kind one to another. Tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Even for God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. Be kind. Be kind. Got it? Be kind. One to another. Tender hearted. 
soft-hearted, forgiving one another, even as Christ has forgiven you. Your, your, your responsibility is to what? Be honorable to all men. Respectful. Does that mean the bum on the street? Yes. He comes up to you and he asks you for money. How do you treat him? It's hard to treat someone that's a panhandler with respect, isn't it? But if you're being faithful to what God's word says, doesn't mean you got to be snotty. Doesn't mean that you got to be unkind. No, sir. No, thank you. Right? Honor all men. What's the second part of this verse? Love the brotherhood. Who is the brotherhood? Stephanie, what is, who is the, all right, let's go somewhere. Uh, Becca, who is the brotherhood? Christians, okay. So, honor all men. Does it say love all men? It's hard to love all men, but you know what? We should, right? But it says what? Love the brotherhood. Our responsibility is to what? Love. Not just respect, but to love. There's a big difference, isn't it? What's the difference between loving and honoring? You can have a fear for someone, or you can have respect for someone and not really love them. That's done all the time. I have respect for Barack Obama. You know why? He's the President of the United States. Do I love him? No, not really. Do I love what he does? Not really. But I have respect for him. We have, as Christians, what? A command to love the brotherhood. You should love your Christian brother and sister like your own brother and sister. The question is, when you, come, when you stand before a holy and a just God, are you going to say, well, that person over there I didn't really love. Well, they were one of mine. They were bought with my blood. Why can't you love them? I love them. Love the brother. Fear God. Fear God. What did Paul say? He said, he, first of all, what? It doesn't matter what man says. What God says is most important. As long as what man says and God says is what? It lines up. Who are we supposed to choose first? Fear God. And then it says what? Set, or, or, fifth, fourthly, what does it say? Honor the king. Fear God. Honor the king. Who is the king? In our country is what? Who's the king? Come on now. I'm making you think. I know it's early in the morning. Honey, you're back there. Who's the king? No, he's not. He is not our king. Who is the king? This is interesting because I, I want you to think through this. Who is the king in our country today? There is no king. The king is you. We, the people of the United States, we control our government. We don't listen to President Obama. If he doesn't do the right thing, guess what happens? Bam! He's out of office. We elect somebody else. We're in charge of what? Our own government. Isn't that great? The liberty we have? It says, honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. We are to be submissive, first of all, to authorities. 
Our responsibility is to what? Listen to what the authorities have to say, first of all. But if it's not within line with what God has asked us to do, if the government tells you you should no longer go to church, should you listen to the government? No. Your responsibility is what? First of all, to fear God, then honor the king. I remember reading, if you ever get a chance to read a book called, uh, I think it's called The Hiding Place by Corey Ten Boom. Uh, Corey Ten Boom grew up in Poland during the World War II invasion of the Nazis. The Nazis came in and they would constantly be looking for Jews. And she hid hundreds of Jews in her home and helped them escape. The interesting thing is, is when they finally got caught and they found out that she was hiding Jews... The father, uh, Corey Tenboom's father, came to her and said, Hey, or, I'm sorry, not, the Nazis came to her father. And they used this scripture verse against her. And they said, Doesn't the Bible say, Honor the king? And he says, Well, first of all, we don't have a king. I honor the queen. <laughs> because she was still under uh, the Polish leadership and did not listen to the Fuhrer or the uh, Hitler, for that matter. But it's an interesting verse here is to understand that we have a responsibility to be submissive to authorities. Secondly, not only are we supposed to have God's grace and submission to authorities, but also submission in the household. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 2, and we're going to read 18 through 25. It says, Servants, be subjects to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the froward. Okay? Masters and servants, who are they? Masters and servants. Come on, people, I want you to think through this. What is a master? What is a servant? And how does that verse apply to us today? Stephanie? Okay. An employee to a what? Employer. Okay. You have a responsibility to what? Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the froward. Think about it for a second. Back in the uh, days of the Old Testament, there was servants and there was masters. Masters sometimes could be very unkind towards their servants. We have it made in America today. They say you only can work 40 hours a week before you have to work over, before you get paid overtime. Uh, You can, sometimes they say, most people say, well, you get five days off and two, two, I'm sorry, five days on and two days off, right? Uh, most companies do that. Uh, there's a limit of how much you can work a person in a week. If they want to say, no, I'm not going to work that much, you know, you don't have to. You have a responsibility, what, as, as a Christian, though, to make sure that you are what? What does it say here? It says in verse 18, it says, fear, uh, subject to your masters with all fear. Who are you really being subject to? Are you being subject to that person that could be your employer that could be unkind? Or are you really being subject to God? It doesn't matter how your employer treats you. The question is, is how do you treat your employer? God wants us to be what? Having grace. Just like in the sense that we have to have grace and submission towards the authorities in our country. We have to listen to President Obama right now. We have to listen to the cop that pulls us over. In the same sense, we should have submission to what? Masters, our employers. Why? God tells us to. It says, servants, be subject to your master with all fear. It says, not just to good, but also to what? To those that are not good. 
19. For this is thankworthy if a man for conscience toward God endure grief and suffering wrongfully. Wow. That's a powerful verse. All of us have been wronged by an employer once or twice. Maybe more than once or twice. What is our attitude toward them? I, I have to admit, the last company I worked for, the Thomas Auto Group, they did things. They worked me longer than they were supposed to. They made me do more stuff than I was supposed to. They continued. The, the cost of what it would take me, the time that it would take me, they had me under salary, and I was working a lot more hours than I should have. But I still gave them a 30-day notice to tell them, hey, I respect you as an employer. Why? I had a responsibility by God to not walk away from that place angry. I had to what? Be subject to my master. Here we go. Next verse. It says, for this is thankworthy if a man for conscience toward God. Don't do it because of that employer. Do it because you want to please God more than anything. You're not subject so much to that master. You are subject to God. And guess what? Your testimony towards that man or woman for that matter could be what? The reason why that person turns to God. Hopefully you are the testimony you should be while you're working for them. And being that testimony, they say, wow, that person, even though I've done them wrong in their own conscience, knows I've done them wrong. They say, man, they still serve God. They still love God. They still treat me right, even though I've treated them wrong. Verse 20. For what glory is it if when ye be buffeted for your faults, ye shall take it patiently? Let's read that verse again. Verse 20. Chapter 2 of First Peter, verse 20. For what glory is it if when ye be buffeted for your faults, ye shall take it patiently? But if when ye do well and suffer for it, ye take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. I think of a perfect example of someone that was subject to their masters. Mohan, let's see if you're on the same page link, or page, uh, wave page, wave link, there we go, as me. Who in the Bible was very, what, uh, patient with their master? Can you think of someone? I can think, it just shines like the sun. Can you think of one, Brother Glenn? Daniel would be a good example, but I think Joseph. Joseph, think about that for a second. What did Joseph do? He came. He was thrown into slavery by his own brothers. And he was put in a man of Potiphar's house. And even though he was morally pure and he was morally right, he got thrown into prison by his master. What did he do in prison? Did he get, oh, sorry, feel sorry for him? No. He says, no, I'm going to serve God here too. And so he became such a good worker and such a diligent person. In the prison, they gave him rule over it. Brother Lewis, did you ever deal with prisoners? Have you ever dealt with prisoners? Yeah, maybe. Did you ever see a prison giving another prisoner rule over the prison? Let me try it again. Did you ever see a prisoner given rule over a prison? I mean, over the whole prison. They, not by, uh, maybe, maybe it was by fiat. 
<laughs> Maybe it was by uh, uh, their own control. But the warden saying, because you're such a good worker, I'm going to put you in control of a prison. Maybe that is. I, I don't know. I, and maybe that's in Mexico. I don't know in America. Usually they lock those guys up. They might be able to clean the outside of the prison. But I'm telling you, nobody's controlling that prison except for the warden. Listen, Joseph had such a sweet spirit. And he says here, it's acceptable to God. It's easy to get wronged at employers. It's easy to know that a person that does not have Jesus Christ residing in them, in them and it's morally acceptable on their behalf to do things that they want to do in their, in their employers. But your attitude should be different. Why? Because you are to be what? You are to be take it patiently. Suffer for it. This whole thing about suffering, it doesn't just have to deal with the physical. It could deal with the mental. It could be deal with your job. It could deal with your finances. Your suffering should be able to be take it patiently. Verse 21, for unto you are called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps. Who did no sin, neither was there guile. Ms. Sophie, what's guile mean? Okay, deceit. So, if you have deceit in your heart, you're a fake, right? Oh, how you doing? My sister, I used to tease her about all the time. She always seemed like the type of person. She'd come to you, oh, how are you doing? And I'd see right there, I said, sis, you're being such a fake. Stop it. Stop it. And maybe she wasn't. Uh, but I, as a brother, I just, she just seemed like she's being fake. And I'd tease her about it all the time. Listen, when, this, when Christ, he had no guile. What you saw is what you got. He probably dealt with something like that. Down south, you deal with people down south. And then what do they do? Oh, how are you doing? You're such as, oh, it's so good to see you. Bless your heart. Then you turn around and they stab you in the back. Okay? Southern people can be like that. Okay? I'm not trying to, imp- maybe there's some real sweet ones, but some of the southern ones that I've dealt with, that's what they do. Oh, bless your heart. Stab you in the back. Okay? But what? Here's Jesus Christ. He was what you saw is what you got. There was no deceit in him. It says in verse 23, who when he was what? Reviled. What does reviled mean? Reviled means is this idea of what? Verbally abused. Oh my goodness. How many times do we get verbally abused as a Christian? If you're living for God, doing God's will. I can't tell you how many times when I was working for Thomas Auto Group that the salesman would verbally abuse me. Day after day after day after day. I'm glad I'm gone. Verbally abused me. They would say things they know I disagreed with. They knew they would say things that would be disgusting and, and piggish. And what did I do? Just take it. Just take it. In verse 24, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye are healed. For ye were at sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and the bishop. So, we find here we should have submission in the household. Thirdly, and I have about ten minutes. Thirdly, let's go to submission in the home. Submission in the home. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 3 and verses 1 through 6. 1 Peter chapter 3 verses 1 through 6. Likewise, 
Ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands. Subjection is, the, is a word that means what? It means, ready for this? A le, a submission. Same thing as submission. What do we say submission was? What? Say it louder, Sarah. Say it loud. Say it loud. There we go. Still think they said loud. Okay. Obedience. Ooh, wives. It's hard sometimes, isn't it? There is times that you just don't want to obey that husband. Wives? Right. Amen? Wife's going, yes! <laughs> okay. Obedience. Wives be subject to your own husband, that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives. There, there is many times when I, uh, uh, <laughs> I might be doing something that's not exactly up to par, and my wife, she just listens. I say she sometimes lets me hang myself. She, how she, just how she does it. I say I want to do this. Okay. She starts building the noose. <laughs> because what happens? I start building the noose. How? The thing that I was doing was wrong. And guess what happens? <laughs> I'm the one that's in trouble, right? Because she listened to me. And now she has to deal with the same problem. And I realize the suffering she's going through is because of my stupidity. And I've hung my own self, haven't I? But what happens if my wife were to say, no, honey, no. In the back of my mind, what would be going on? She told me no. And that's why I couldn't do that. So Harold might get a little bitterness inside. Okay. But if she told me yes, who do I have to reflect on? Nothing but myself. I'm the one that was wrong. She just listened. I got to kick my own self, don't I? And guess what? Next time, do you think I'll have more respect for what my wife might have to say? Guarantee it. Guarantee it. It says here, be subject unto your own husband, that he obey not the word. They may without the word be won by conversation of the wives. It's saying here, he says, if you have a husband that's unsaved, listen to me, there's going to be times... When you're going to have to deal with him and he's going to be saying what? No, I don't want you to do this. No, I don't want you to do this. By your conversation, by your testimony, you're going to what? You're going to win over that husband. Verse 2. While they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear. Eventually, guess what's going to happen? They're going to watch and they're going to say, wow. She's obedient. She does the things that I ask her to do. She does what God asks her to do. Man, I need to listen to this wife of mine. Who's adorning, let it not be that of outward adorning, of plating of the hair, and of wearing of gold, or of putting on of apparel, in verse 4, but let it be the hidden man of the heart, which is not corruptible, even the ornament of meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God, of what? great price what is plating of the hair anybody know plating yes okay yes it's braiding okay in the old testament what the women used to do they would take their hair and they would weave 
all kinds of different gold, silver, and flashy objects in their hair. So whenever they would walk by, how many ladies do that? You don't do that, do you? They'd wave that mane, and guess what would happen? The sun would gleam off it. Ooh, right? What else does it say? Dorning, let it not be outward of dorning of plain in the hair and wearing of gold or putting on apparel. Is there anything with wearing gold? No. But what he's trying to say, he says, hey, be of a meek and quiet spirit. Your whole attitude should not be one that's trying to gain attention of others. My wife, thankfully, she wasn't like that. She wasn't even like that when we were dating. She's a very uh, quiet spirit. Uh, she says, she looks at me like, well, I'll just give you an example. When we were dating, on the way back from our first, one of our first OCD or off-campus dates, they say, meaning we weren't on campus when we had the date. We went with my mom and dad, and we took the L, I, I think it was the L, back to down, where we lived here on 3743. And it was with my parents, and she didn't say a word all the way back home. I thought, man, this girl doesn't like me, does she? I'm trying to talk to her and trying to get her to interact. And she was. But you know, that is an attractive quality in a woman. You say, why? Because guess what? That's the same type of woman that's going to be after you get married. She's going to have a, what? Meek and quiet spirit. The Bible says. That a um, contentious, uh, the continual dropping on a rainy day and a contentious woman are alike. What does that mean? It means, listen, if a woman just nags and nags and nags, and I'm sorry, ladies, I am really on to you today, but this is what the scripture is talking about. All right? And nags and nags and nags and nags and nags. Guess what? It's going to be like a continual dropping. How many's ever been outside and it's loop, 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 loop? I know, Brother Lewis, you had a sink that's doing that. What do you want to do to it? You want to fix it, right? You want to fix your wife. Stop! Stop it right now! Right? Put the zipper on her mouth or something, right? Okay? The idea there is what? You want a wife that was not so much, oh, fleshy, dun, 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 right? Instead, you want a wife that's running in the background, okay? You guys, I'm going to do a little computer geeky, nerdy stuff here, okay? Um, if you have a computer, how many of you have a computer in here? Okay, most of you have computers. Um, did you know that your computer has things that are running in the background the entire time it's running? Okay, you might not see those things all the time. But you know they're a vital part, a part of your computer, just like your smartphone. There is applications that are running in the background of your phone. They're a vital part of your phone. If you lose those applications or you lose those programs, you lose your computer. Okay, I learned that the hard way. In the same sense, your wife should be a vital part of your home. She runs in the background. Husband is to be what? The head. The wife is to be what? Underneath the head. 
She's to make her husband look what? Good. Okay. Is there anything wrong with that? No. That is the, that is the, that is the uh, position that God has given the woman. And she is to be honored because of that. I'm not saying that you shouldn't have, uh, you take your wife. You should treat her special men. Why? The Bible says to love them. Because what? They are the weaker vessel. But I guarantee you, I could not operate without my wife. She is a vital part to my ministry. She's a vital part to my household. She's a vital part to my home. But if she were the opposite, where she was always looking for the limelight, (laughs) I almost dated one. Thank goodness I didn't. (laughs) Guess what? It's going to hurt that home. The Bible says that we should go after what? A meek and quiet spirit. And I'm completely out of time. Let's just go one more point on. Submission in the household. That was verse, let's read the next verse. For the manner in the old time, the holy men, women also who trusted in God adorned themselves being in what? Some subjection unto their own husband. Even as Sarah obeyed Abraham calling him what? Lord. That goes against society so much today, right? Man, Lord, what does Lord mean? Lord is, is the same kind of thing of master. Wow, man, you, get, you talk about women's ERA and, and women's rights, right? Yeah. The Bible's very clear here, isn't it? Some women don't like this, and you know why? Because it speaks to their hearts, and it tells them, hey, listen, you are to be in subjection to your husband. We will get to the men eventually. But this Bible verse is very clear. What? Women to what? Listen. Women women are to what? Obey. Verse 6, even as Sarah called him, Abraham calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are, as long as ye do well, and are not afraid with any amazement. What last part there? And are not afraid with what? Any amazement. Fear. Right? You really are trusting God. Okay, God. You might even say this. He's doing something stupid here. Help me. Help me to trust you. Because really, when you're putting yourself in subjection to your husband, who are you really putting yourself in subjection? You're saying... I'm trusting God that God will help my husband. That's pretty much what you're saying. Okay, God, I don't know. But Lord, I trust you. I'm going to obey. Who's going to pay the penalty for their sin? When you get to heaven, who's going to have to give an account of how they acted? Your husband. You obeyed. You obeyed why? Out of trust, out of grace from God. And believe me, folks, it takes grace. Because your husband, is, he is a still what? He is still a sinner. And some of them are, are not saved, so he's still under the old man completely. How do you submit to a person that is unsubmittable to? You trust God. And lastly, 1 Peter chapter 3, and I'm out of time. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 7 through 12 Submission in the church. Submission in the church. And we'll read that next week. So let's keep a finger right there. 
1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7 through 12. Let's stand together in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we're grateful for the fact that you've given us a uh, road map to follow, to understand how we should act, not only in our homes, uh, out in the world, but also in our church. I pray, Lord Jesus, that we would understand the idea of submission. Lord, bless today's service as only you can. In Jesus' name, amen.